Welcome back to the Process Podcast, everybody. Um, how's your How's your mood today, Katie? On a scale from one to don't give me these weird numbers. I don't do these weird numbers. Yes, one to thirteen. I asked somebody that yesterday, and it's fascinating how much cognition goes on when you ask someone a weird scaled question. Because scale should have meaning, and if it they're variable meaning. and they're not consistent, it's it's variable because it makes you think. Because people will reflect. It's like if I say "How are you?" and you just say "I'm good." If I say "How are you?" on a scale from one to ten, you'll just say a seven, seven, seven. But if I ask no, you that's one to a scale thirteen, of familiarity. So then my right. mind has this internal representation of what a zero is and what a ten is, and so I, it, yeah, well, it may have has to more do meaning math in your brain. But people, <laughs> people will reflexively answer. So the parts of my brain that do math are not the parts of my brain that are also active in introspection and trying to get them connected, get those sides of the brain. Interoception. Working. Which we will talk about later. Yeah. What does a 13 mean? So, so it's, a, it's literally best. a mathematical equation from our typical usual, scale, well, zero usual to scale 10, might and be we're one adding. To, one to 10, but it might be one to, for some people, it's one to five. But that's what makes you think. That's I disagree. I Holy, we're off to a good start. Mm-hmm. You have to have meaning. You have to have an internal representation of what that is. You do. 13, 13 means is, nothing to me. 13 is It's like 11 on our speaker scale. No, 13 is 100%. And you have to... It's the same as if you... Sometimes some scales Fine, are... 10. 10 out of 13. <laughs> okay. Thank you. How about you? Um, you know, I'm in a good place today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it an 11 today. It's Rare. the hair. Yeah, I got a haircut <laughs> right before this. I was a little bit late. I'll, while I was sitting in the chair, I was thinking about something we talked about last week because it was clearly running over time. He was getting a little uh, artistic <laughs> with the finishing touches. And I'm like, hey, man, I, I got to go record a podcast. And he's like, oh, are you nervous? Because he thought I meant like go be a guest on a podcast. And I was like, well, I'm nervous because I'm about to be late. Uh-huh. And I was thinking about our people-pleasing talk. So I was like, okay, Paul, worst case scenario, you're going to be six minutes late. Katie will probably forgive you. She is busy, but it's going to be okay. But I was still just flooded with anxiety around, I'm going to be late. That's the worst thing. Um, But it's mostly because of the people pleasing. And you didn't counteract that with looking in the mirror and reflecting how amazing the hair looks. I was trying my best. It's still, it's just because I was considering like how hardwired in it is to me that even though I was like, we just talked about this two weeks ago on the podcast, it's still so deeply seated to just be worried about like annoying someone or whatever. That's a well myelinated pathway for you. Right. So it fires immediately. Yeah. Powerfully. Right. Overwhelmingly prior to the ability to consciously or logically go through. Right. How many times is Katie late? Yeah. <laughs> is Katie an uptight person? Is she going to care? Right. Has Katie known me for long enough that she's going to, like, that's the thing that you have to think about. Like, has this person known me long enough that we've had a wealth of experiences such that she's not going to think, well, this person's like, you can't be late for your first time. Right. Or you, you could, you could. It's not and great. What I would say again, as I always say, instead of our external analysis of what other people are thinking, mm-hmm. come back to what am I making lateness mean? Right. And if I make it mean I'm being disrespectful of other people's time, mm-hmm. that's when the nerves start. Right. If it's sometimes things come up 
every mm-hmm. human being in the world is late at times. Does not mean I'm disrespectful. I am stuck in the chair with with Joshua. Joshua, who is an artist, who is yeah, and he's taking so much pride and pleasure in his artistry. Mm-hmm. That it's all good. What are we doing on the podcast today? We're going to, we have another great question from a process online member. Yes. He mentions interoception, which you referenced earlier. Interoception. Yeah. So, um, so a cool question about, um, body stuff, like, uh, what's going on with one of our members and, um, maybe some guilt around not being exactly perfectly put together right now, which is something I can relate to. Um, but before that, I want to know. A win or a loss in your world, Dr. Katie Levesay? So win, I had a boundary win. Ooh, I like that. This week. Okay. I had a referral from a, a colleague to do a, a neuropsych evaluation on a really interesting, intriguing case that I have had some experience, um, quite a bit of experience with. So it would have been a good fit, excited happy, pleased that somebody thought of me to do that. I just don't have the time for it. And mm-hmm. But because of that, well, this is what I study. I know this. I could really help people out. I had that pull, um, I guess the people-pleasing pull, but also the, hey, this is what I've done. I, mm. could, I could really be of help here, but it just... I can't do it from a mm-hmm. time perspective. I could, but so many other things would suffer. And what really convinced me ultimately to say no was if I do this... I am going to have this, even if it's mild, the seed of sort of resentment because I obliged myself to something or made an obligation that I just don't have the time for. And how would that even subtly, inadvertently come across in my work, the time I'm spending, heck, even how I treat the patient or the referral person, procrastinating on getting it written, who knows? Mm -hmm. So I thought that's important. And then it was really lovely, lovingly, not lovingly, (laughs) spectacularly um, reinforced by the fact that then a few days later, I saw on our listserv, somebody else had said, oh, I'll do that. I have just written a paper in this area. This is Mm. great timing. I'm so excited to see this case clinically. So it doesn't always happen that way, but that was... What, it's uh, a good reminder that, hey, we're not always the best. There are other people out there, and it may be what better served elsewhere. What uh, series of, I don't know, mental steps did you go down to in order to kind of create the scaffolding, as you would say, of even writing that email or calling that person? Did you have a strategy? I, I didn't. So interesting. So I, I immediately started responding. Of course, it was almost that reflexive. <laughs> right. I got to get back out of here into from the salon into doing my podcast because <laughs> of that really rapid. All of these things clicked and made sense. I'm the one she's asking me because she knows my expertise. And I was writing the email to say, all right, let's do this. Thank you. Even I'm so glad you thought of me, all of which were true until I just, I started how this is so well tied into what we're going to talk about yesterday or today. So I had this sense of nervousness, unease, stress, and anxiety. And I just, I I literally said, I'm going to close this, think about this, look at my schedule, pay attention to this feeling of unease. Mm. And it was, I don't have time to do this in the right way. And then I, because I'm ridiculous in this area of processing, but I thought it would be a really good moment to say, okay, here's this underlying belief. Let me really look at it. The impact of that, should I go forward, would Mm. be again, potentially negative. It's sort of the pros and cons list. And is it really true that nobody else could do this? Right. 
And it turns out, yes, somebody did. So it was pretty, it, oftentimes it's not that right. procedural, uh, but it was fun because I had that emotional reaction. I had that uh, reflexive. What did the, what did the email look like that you sent? My eventual email? Yeah. My eventual email was, again, thank you so much. This is such a great mm-hmm. case. You're exactly right. I would have loved to have done this. I don't feel like I have the time to be able to do it in the way it deserves. Mm-hmm. And giving the recommendation to put it out there on the on the listserv. Yeah. So basically like, thank you. I appreciate this. I can't do it. Here's a suggestion of exactly where you could go yep. instead. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a – I mean I think that's – when we are trying to myelinate a new pathway, it's so helpful to have a plan in place, a protocol for ourselves. Great point. Um, I think that's really true. We've, I think, talked about this before, but I've noticed that in um, relationship communication sometimes. Like, it's tempting to just respond or react. I guess react is a better word, right? Yes. And maybe it's reframing it as responding in a way that sometimes feels rote when you're going through it, but the other person probably won't notice that it's rote. <laughs> Good point. Yep. Like I think sometimes when I say things that seem sort of procedural, I'm like, Jesus, they're going to see right through this kind of politically correct response. But there's a lot of value in saying, I heard what you just said to me. Here's how it made me feel. Let's talk about this sort of plan, right? Like, yes, here's how I'm experiencing it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to assume how you're experiencing, how you're going to experience it. That's so much of the people pleasing this Mm -hmm. assumption that, oh, I'm going to let somebody down. Oh, I'm going to make somebody upset. Right. Right. That's just another assumption. And I think the, the, this procedural rote, plan mm-hmm. makes sense whenever we're doing something that, like you said, is not really well myelinated, isn't instinctive for us because it, 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 it gives us that, those crutches to rely on. Yeah. We don't have to make those calls in the moment. And anytime you can take some time, figure out what's going on emotionally, take some space. Even that's hard for us because we feel, again, that same tendency that makes mm-hmm. us want to respond positively to everything and never say no is that tendency of, oh, I've got to get a response to someone really quickly or right away. Yeah, yeah. I I, I also, I, I think it's so similar to if you want to start a new habit of doing 10 push-ups every day, it's going to feel gross for the first 20 days. And similarly, when I've noticed myself uh, coming up with some communication strategies, it feels really gross for a while, but then it starts to become my own and I can make it feel natural. So I think it's understanding that there's going to be this hill at the beginning where it does feel kind of uncomfortable. Mechanical. Yeah, exactly. Mechanical. Yes. And I think and you internalize it. And I used I used two examples. One example I use is the writing writing with your non-dominant hand. Mm. So we all know how to write really well. It feels good. It feels comfortable to pick up a pen and start writing with our non-dominant hand. Really hard, really uncomfortable. We can get things done so much quicker and more efficient. We think it's uncomfortable. But like anything else, we get better at it and even then um, can have some mastery overall. And then when you think about the rewiring, I always give – I always give a sports example, either it's shooting a basketball or hitting a baseball, tennis, golf, and those those habits we've learned that we know 
makes a slice or I don't know, miss our free throw or don't, don't arc it enough. Mm-hmm. And th- that's the wiring that we have to rewire. And so it is so much cerebral and feels rote, feels really um, – Lots of energy has to go into thinking that new way through. But again, the more you mm-hmm. practice it, the more you can make that much more instinctive. Right. So I had a – I talk all the time about – or not all the time, but I talk a fair bit about how I have detached the results of um, – writing books from the act of writing books, even though that's a challenge, right? Like I will still get caught up occasionally and man, I hope this sells a bunch of copies someday. But my philosophy around that is that when you give up on it is exactly when it happens. When you give up on selling books is exactly when that goes down, right? When you just worry about like, I'm excited about creating this piece of art and I like it. Chances are good that no one will like it, but that's the only chance that someone will like it. Yes. Is that you love it, right? So it's when you, it's similar to dating, they always say when you're not working so hard and looking for it or trying to get right. pregnant, right. which, yeah. So I, um, Ball Boy was my, the novel that came out, um, a year and two months ago. Uh, and, so it's obviously fiction. I say that because sometimes people think that novels are just books and that makes me real mad, but I have to breathe through that. Anyway, so first fiction that... What do you mean? Well, a novel is fiction and a, and nonfiction is not a novel. And sometimes people just say, when they say novel, they just mean book. Oh, okay. So that they're not classifying. Right. So Got when it. I say my first novel, I mean that it was my first fiction. <laughs> That was 45 seconds that we wasted on the world. Uh, anyway, so that book came out and I had like, I, I'd worked on it for five or six years, but I'd gotten to this point of like, I'm just going to put this out and it, who knows what happens. I think it's pretty good, but I can't control what happens with it. Reality it's is very good. I've loved it. Thank you. Reality is that I still will check every day to see how many books it sold. Like, what am I, a automaton? No, right. of course. I'm obsessive. I'm going to look every day. Yeah. Um, and so this last weekend, I looked on Sunday night. Normally, uh, it sells between two and four copies every day, which is pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. Yeah. Like it's that's actually really hard to pull off. Um, oh. Well, I looked on on Sunday night, and on Saturday it sold 29 copies, and on Sunday 22 copies, and I have no idea why. Like it wasn't like I did a book signing or I couldn't, nobody had tweeted that I know of that was like, Hey, go buy this book. My sense is that maybe somebody bought it for their class or something like that, which well, is awesome. Somebody mentioned it somewhere. Kudos so to them. Yeah, followers, maybe, yeah. Maybe that happened. Um, but I didn't have any real doing in that or any part in it. And it was such a, it was such a pleasant surprise as opposed to expecting that That's, that would happen. Yes. Right? Now keep in mind to the listener, like if you are, I don't know who sells a lot of books, Stephen King, you would sell 29 copies every 30 minutes, right? Like this is a pretty small scale, but it's a big win for me compared to what my expectations of course, were. So of that course. felt like a, a really lovely win of just, oh, I kept my expectations low. At some point it was a pleasant surprise. I did this for the right reasons. Right reasons, yes. And then, now there's 29 copies of the book or 51, I guess, 51. copies of the book floating around anew as of this weekend. Um, 
and that's, you know, probably only five people read it all the way through, but that's five more than lots of things that I'll do with my life, right? That, and I think that's so awesome. And I think it's important that you are, you're okay and you're admitting and acknowledging that that is meaningful. Yeah. And again, because we are, we are human. You put effort and work into it. You've certainly figured out the way to to do that work in the most motivating and enjoyable way for you, not focused on the outcome, not having that be your measure of enjoyment, success, fulfillment, and yet understanding that that's, that's, that's a piece of it and it's okay. It's an okay, important, vital piece of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that felt. And it's a good book. It should be, I mean, why books sell or don't sell, why some musicians sell and don't sell. Mm -hmm. There is, there's so much that's out of your control and that doesn't make uh, cause and effect, direct right. cause and effect sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it's in just the, the truth that there are very few things in the world where you can truly measure whether something is good or not. Mm-hmm. And, and art is one of those things that you certainly cannot. Correct. What uh, What do you have as a loss? <laughs> so my, lo- my loss... I don't know where we're going to go with this, but my okay. loss is that I had a client tell me today, um, or I guess it was a couple of days ago, that she was talking about how 90s fashion is is back in. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> so I was thinking about it. I was like, what does that mean? And she said, oh, you know, like baggy jeans and all this other stuff. And I said, oh, really? And she's like, yeah, it's been that way for a while. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm now that out of touch person that this has been going on for years. She's like, yeah, it's it's, it's at least been going on for eight months, Katie. Come on. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. And it just was this recognition that even if I, I really did care a lot, mm-hmm. it is – I just have no room on my bandwidth for that, mm-hmm. for even attempting to to continue to be in style. And it was just a little sad. So was that tied to out of touchness or aging or both? I think the two are synonymous in, in oftentimes in some of these areas, particularly fashion and music. Although I do say I, I love music and I work hard to to keep up with it. But it it's just such a function, I think, too, of bandwidth. And mm-hmm. the less bandwidth you have, I think even more than age, honestly, is, you know, children and family and mm. just don't have that much time left over for yeah. keeping up with everything. And you can't keep up with everything. Right. Well, did you, so what was your, what did you allow yourself to feel the feeling of despair? Humiliation? Yeah. <laughs> I did. I, in fact, I don't think I paid attention for the rest. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, and I fessed up to it. Mm. And it, you know, it was, it's probably not, um, not probably, takeaway probably. It's not something that deserved that much humiliation or bandwidth or sense Ooh. of despair. Oh, interesting. Well, um, well, that's important, right? Yeah. Whether it deserved it or not, you felt it. I felt it. Right. So, it's- But again, then that's the examination of what am I making this mean? Mm. And so mm-hmm. if I make this mean, oh, here's another thing I'm failing at. This <laughs> used to be effortless and now I can't keep up and now people are going to be making fun of me. And I'm one of those people I used to make fun of. No, I didn't make fun of. But, you know, yeah. and it doesn't mean any of that. It's just mm-hmm. we all have a finite bandwidth mm-hmm. with which to process the world and that's not a priority if it were mm-hmm. i would be rocking baggy <laughs> jeans and whatever else the, yeah, 90s style what i have noticed is it's not just it's not baggy entirely it's also like it's kind of a high water 
look okay. on the on women's jeans. Which I have today, inadvertently. Oh. <laughs> a little bit. Okay. Yeah. But it's like a it's like a, a flared pant oh, with a, a yeah. high water and like bare ankles and low shoes. Okay. That's what I'm seeing here in in the fashion hotspot that is Denver. Stop it. <laughs> Do not cast aspersions on Denver. You're such an LA snob. Well, I'll but just here say again, it, like, it doesn't matter, right? right? How happy are we? How meaningful is my life? Yeah. Regardless of what I'm wearing. So right. probably the loss, instead of me being out of fashion and mm. old and out of touch, thank you very much, is that I let myself get upset by that, even for a okay. nanosecond. Well, well, but that's what I would push back on is like, maybe it's not wrong that you let yourself. It just is that you let yourself. It is that I left my, let myself, but and that's I right. needed to examine right. why. Yeah. If I, you know, unless I wanted to keep being upset by that. Mm-hmm. And I could. Like, there's some stories I'm going to just keep telling myself and be upset about. Sometimes we need that. That's <laughs> right. not one that I needed to be carrying that emotional weight around. It's Maybe you didn't need to, but I think it's also just – it's natural, and I think it comes back to um, – I was looking in you're, the mirror. Basically, you're saying to me – you need to continue to feel despair you should feel bad for how about you're this. dressing. You should definitely be mad. Go ahead. You were looking in the mirror. I was looking in the mirror just before my haircut because I was like, what am I going to have him do? I think we're going to chop it all off. Um, I was like, whoa, those power alleys are starting to get a little deeper, Paul. <laughs> and and then I was like – and then I went to so – Power alleys. For the, for, the, <laughs> for the unaware, a power alley is like those – the this this like – on the sides of the top of your forehead, dudes will start to like the hair will start to recede a little bit there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh my God, am I, what if I start to lose my hair? That wouldn't be any fun. I'm already gray. I don't need to lose my hair also. And then I was like, well, but you're 44 years old. So who cares if you were to lose your hair? And then I was also like, let's think about this, Paul. You've gone through this about 30 times in your life where you let your hair grow out. And then you realize, like, because it falls down, that it looks like those things are starting to, like, creep back. But this happened to you when you were 24. Those things meaning the power alleys. Yeah, like, that. if you, the way I comb my hair, that that has always been there. So I think it's it's interesting how also how we, these things are not based in reality also, yeah. right? Like, yes. you, no one in the world is, I've never heard anyone say that, Katie Love say. Is out of touch when it comes to style. <laughs> Don't hang around a lot of people. <laughs> so, uh, so it's also interesting thinking about like the minutia where you're like, this is a, this is a, a very clear instance where somebody's saying you're you're out of touch, and so then you. And you know what? She didn't even say that. She was just talking about fashion in general. Right? How absurd it is. I I made it personalized, and that's why I fight back a little with you on. I did. Yes, I started feeling that way, but Mm -hmm. you're exactly right. It's minutia. It's not based in reality, and so the longer I go with that, and I'm carrying those feelings of despair, humiliation, is just wasted energy. It's distracting me. It's having an impact on certainly how well I'm listening to her, how I'm Mm -hmm. getting through my day, how I'm interacting with others, and that's why you question, look at it, and spend some time with it. Yeah, it's it's such a balance because my the the reality of my uh, examination of my power alleys was grounded in vanity and i am kind of vain so <laughs> it's so it's also being able to figure out like let's own that this is the most epic episode of <laughs> and, all time but then let's let's be aware i am vain but also how can i maybe aim it towards being 5% less vain as i age <laughs> 
Because. Because it's the not. The impact of vanity is. Mm-hmm. It's a seven deadly sin. <laughs> is it? Or is it not? I, I, I think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the impact is it's You're just stressful. Oh, it's right. stressful on us. Yeah, it's stressful for and sure. And it's uncontrollable. And exactly. Right. Again, a stressful emotion, mm-hmm. an emotional event that if we look at for a minute, challenge, try to see it in an alternative way, reduce it by 5%, then reduce it by 10% the next time it comes up. Right. It's just freeing us up mm. to not have that weight. I just thought of like uh, an interesting segment that we should incorporate sometime is uh, seven deadly sins and be like, which of the deadly sins <laughs> did you <laughs> fall prey to this morning week? alone uh, <laughs> to just today? All right. What's what's your loss? Um, and it's not the power alleys. It's, no. Yeah. The, I think my hair is going to be OK. <laughs> you do, too. Uh, but it was related to my body in that I for the last probably three years I've been dealing with this kind of side. It feels like a side cramp. It's basically like back pain, but in on the side of my body. Um, and it is chronic. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's one of those things that was alarming at first. Cause I was like, is there something wrong with my internal organs? This is particularly scary to me because I had my kidney and spleen ruptured on the left side of my body, right? And so I'm always like a little unsure as to whether everything's okay down there. You know, there's that they were like, you're all, <laughs> I remember so clearly they were like, okay, so you've got like X quantity of blood that's just in your retroperitoneal cavity. This is the, the kidney and spleen, spleen. injury, right, right. right? And they're telling so you. So it's just, it has bled into your body. And you're experiencing pain like you've never experienced before in your life. Right. And, and they are telling you it's not. Well, they're telling. Well, and then so as I was recovering, now I just had a big pool of blood in my body, right, from the internal bleeding. And we're talking about a lot, 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 lot of blood. Not and a doctor, they, but don't and, think you want a pool of blood. So I just remember them being like, in so your belly. all that's going to happen is your body's just going to resorb that blood and then you'll be fine. And so for that whole summer, I spent... Uh, every whatever three weeks I would just go get an MRI and they'd be like, okay, it's now down to the size of a softball. And now it's down to the size of a baseball and now it's a golf ball. And I remember being like, I don't know, this doesn't seem right. Right. So there's always that thought in the back of my head of like, are we sure that my internal organs are in the right place? Like what if my right kidneys now were my left kidneys? Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a really traumatic, traumatic experience up. and injury period. But then the recovery of not mm-hmm. feeling like you were being told the right thing. Yeah. Cause as I learned from my basketball career, most of the time the team doctor just wants to sort of like get you on down get the road, on. like make sure you're cleared before they cut you. Mm-hmm. So they're not responsible. Uh, okay. Um, or get you right back in the game if you're, yeah. In my case, it was more like, let's, <laughs> We don't want to have to pay him next year, so let's make sure we're, our asses are covered. Um, so, so anyway, this stuff that I'm dealing with is more just like back and musculoskeletal, but it it's that very visceral response in my head of like, but your insides were scrambled at some point, so could this be related? Yeah. And that because I had to sort of stop going to the gym for a couple of years and I was just trying to work out in my own room and I also stopped going to Pilates, I stopped getting massages, all of the things that I'm responsible for with my body by dint of my past career. It's just the way it is that I will kind of always be rehabbing after 
eight surgeries and so many injuries, injuries it's yeah. just the way of it. Also, I'm six foot nine, right? And, it, uh, you know, the world's not exactly built for me. So I will always need to take better care of my body. And I just haven't been able to. Um, and so this week I had a, a flare up of this where I was kind of freaking out, you know, just that sense of like, I can't think of anything else. Is it going to be like this all the time? Um, and it was interestingly uncontrollable as far as anxiety goes. Uh, I was able to come up with a couple of, of the usual protocols that I go down, which are like, let's start by icing it. Now let's examine how much stress you're under. Cause for me, a lot of times it's mostly stress related. It's not actually physical. I mean, it's, there's some right. physical stuff, but that's where my, what my body does is it will transfer. You're anxious. Now let's focus on something having to do with your body. So it was, that was a, a bit of a loss and it's and not still only the focus, on. but as we know, the mm-hmm. somatization of, would you say somatization, what somatization, do you mean? The, 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 the somatic expression or the bodily, the physical mm. expression of emotional pain, stress, anxiety right. also happens right. so often. So you have that combination of, yes, that's where I'm focusing, mm-hmm. but also our body carries Right. Which we will talk about in a minute. The body keeps the score. So yeah. it was, it's still something that I'm working through to some degree, but I was happy that I was able to notice as well that getting busy in a productive way really helped to, okay. to get myself out of that cycle. Mm-hmm. So not like, I th- I don't think it was maladaptive because a lot of it was being in the space. Like, uh, working on some decor and some other ideas and stuff to kind of get myself out of that pattern. And the of cycle thought. being, I'm experiencing this bodily sensation, mm-hmm. then experiencing the feeling of stress and panic. Right. Because the belief mm-hmm. was, I'm interpreting this body sensation as everything you said before. Right. Something very serious. Interpreting going it on. as so, and I think that's where for me the catastrophizing comes in, because partially because that's how my brain works, but also because. That was my training for 15 years right. was pay attention. If your body's a little off now, it's going to be a lot off after you go through the next 10 practices. Exactly. So, or what the implications for you were right, at right. all times, if anything was off even a little bit. Yeah. The, the, the time where my, the, uh, the Spanish team, when I was playing on a broken ankle, they said, um, okay, so if you don't play well and we don't win, in two days, we're going to cut your contract and send you home. Right. Where you're like, so my entire existence is How did you attached- even get a shoe on? Right. <laughs> yes. So like your entire existence is, is attached not only to your body, but also your ability to tame the emotional chaos that comes when somebody says your career is on the line. So it, I also will often have to talk myself through some level of forgiveness of like, this is okay that you are like this because right. you, this you had to be for so a really ingrained and it's so fast, so automatic, so much of our bodily sensations go unco- unconscious for all of us. Mm-hmm. But when you have that, anything fear-based or panic-based or threat-based danger, so firmly associated mm-hmm. with whatever thoughts are happening at that time. That's why we remember things so vividly at so much more emotional basis. And so it's that much quicker. And then before you're even aware of what you're thinking, it's that stress reaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a a continued 
challenge. Yeah. I was going to say fight, but that's not the we'll right way ta- to talk I, about our body. We can talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Yeah, of we got kind a good question. To do that. I do want to share a, uh, a loss from one of our members. We uh, ask for these in our little community. And uh, Clumsy Girl Travel says, I miss working. I've been so sick these last three weeks and just got diagnosed with pneumonia yesterday. So I've been Ugh. super tired and I'm so behind on work. It has been such a struggle, which does not sound fun at all. And I think that the exclamatory I miss working is important and interesting because this person is just sort of saying, you know, when you're sick, you you become really attuned to how many simple pleasures there are in life. Yes. Even down to, I knocked out that email today or whatever thing that your work might be, right? So we're sending you our thoughts, clumsy yes. girl trouble. And again, it's no one likes to be sick and you're out of things. You're not feeling productive. And then when you start really looking at what do we make tired mean? What do we make mm. unproductive mean? And that extra, mm-hmm. again, cognitive angst that we associate so much of us. Tired for me has meant so many negative, negative things. Mm-hmm. So it makes it that much more painful. Okay. I'm going to read our question from uh, T. Zalkin because there's a word in here that I don't know that you mentioned earlier. So we're going to we're going to dig into that. So um, he says, uh, he listened to our last podcast and was really intrigued by the part where you both talked about how we know and relate to our bodies in unique ways. It resonated with me, especially since I knew something was wrong and ultimately discovered with my doctor that I had a swollen liver, of all things. How do you stand up for your body even when you don't know entirely what's wrong? And what are some ways to explore your interoception to avoid burning out? So what is interoception? Katie. So interoception, I happen to just luckily know a lot about this. I've been reading about it in relation to um, autistic neurology, but it's that it's the awareness, the conscious awareness we have of, of what's going on in our body. So the internal state of our body, mm. you think of the, the physiological reactions that are going on in our body and that awareness of that. So again, when we were talking about before so much of that, you know, respiration, unless we're really focused on it, all of that's going on with underneath our awareness. So the interoception is our ability to identify, assess, sort of engage with, analyze, and then ultimately react to in a, in a uh, appropriate and kind of adaptive way to what those physiological responses are. Mm. And, it's not as easy as it seems for us for a number of reasons. And also with respect to interoception, really important to think about emotional responses as part of that, because emotions are at their essence, a physiological response in the body. Mm -hmm. We make them into feelings because of the cognitive label we give them. Mm -hmm. So if your heart is racing because you just ran a mile or you're excited about something that's coming up or you're nervous or you just drink a, you know, huge thing of Coke. I don't know. The, the physiological response is the same Mm. heartbeat racing, et cetera. It's the label we give it. The same heart racing could be nerves, fear, or it could be excitement, if mm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so it's understanding that relationship between first and foremost, what is the physiological sensation Right. And then what am, what am I making this mean? Mm. Really important. And so many of us have a hard time even recognizing what's going on in our body mm-hmm. because 
If you think of the stress response, our body is very hypervigilant when we are under stress initially, paying attention to everything in our environment and what's going on in our bodies. We can feel our mouth getting dry. We can feel our heart rate increasing. And that has a lot of evolutionary implications. We've got to act. And unfortunately, chronic stress or stress over time does the exact opposite. So it it reduces our reactivity to the cues that initially are so aware and vigilant. It's, it's the same underlying theory for, for example, if we build tolerance to a drug or a substance, your body cha- literally changes mm-hmm. how it's responding to that. It's called downregulation and your body and your brain become less responsive why it takes us six beers versus three Mm -hmm. to have the same effect because you have these actual physical changes going on in your brain. And that happens under chronic stress. We literally decrease, reduce our ability to identify what's really going on. Mm -hmm. And then you have all these conscious or unconscious attempts to dissociate from physical Mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. Like if it's it's painful to feel upset or it's painful to focus on pain. Um, and so, so important in, in the work we do, but just in general, to be able to rebuild that awareness of physical sensations, what that means, whether it's pain, whether it's an emotional response, am I bored? Am I frustrated? Am I angry? And really recognizing what's going on physiologically, because the the more you're able to do that, the quicker you're able to respond in an adaptive way as opposed to down the road or just being burned out or exhausted Mm -hmm. or not having that sense, I should stop here, I should pay attention to this, whether it's a pain in my body Mm -hmm. um, or an emotional state that I'm carrying around. I talk often with my mom who does a lot of uh, health mitigation uh, in Kansas where she travels around and talks to companies about – getting their staff more healthy because she works for an insurance company. Can we just do a quick shout out to Jane Shirley, who's (laughs) such an amazing human. She is. She is. She's out there. Last time I talked to her, she was in Mulvane, Kansas, um, getting ready for a a conference on some of this stuff. But one thing we talk about a lot is that um, because of what we've done to uh, the way we eat um, and also either the way we cook or the way we don't cook – one of the easiest ways into this concept of interoception is I ate that thing and now I feel this way. Right. right? But because of the number of weird things that we find in our foods, I think that's really complicated for a lot of people. Um, I, because it was my job to be perceptive around interoception, I would say I'm much more hooked up to like, if I eat this, I feel this way. If I drink this tomorrow, I will feel this way. Um, You're an interoceptive ninja masterclass PhD level. Yes. One of the the challenges I think people have uh, in the day and age we live in is not only the like additives in our food and all that, but also this kind of like constant grazing that we go through. So you don't, you can't really parse out that food led to this because, well, I ate something two hours later and then two hours after that. And I think that's, one way into this, we talk about it when we work with the companies, you and I, is is paying attention really acutely to getting someone to check in with you right now. How are you focused? How are you feeling? What's going on with your body? And then work backward to what did you eat or drink three hours ago, just as a start mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. see like, okay, so yeah, you know what? I'm anxious, but I did have three cups of coffee today. Right. <laughs> like, Making that connection. It's not just, like you said, assigning the correct label to it. 
I'm actually not that nervous about this job interview. I didn't get any sleep last night for whatever reason. And that's why my heart's racing. Yes. So retraining that cause and effect, I think is a way into some of this. I think it's a great way in. And yes. And so many of us start ignoring signals of, I'm not feeling well after I ate something, even if we know there's a direct connection, because Mm -hmm. I'm going to focus solely or disproportionately on how good I felt, that sugar high I felt, that energy rush I felt initially after eating something. And Mm -hmm. then you just sort of ignore or, 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 or get distract yourself from the feelings of discomfort. And ideally, ultimately, when your interoceptive skills are so good, it becomes preventative. So it's the whole theory behind intuitive eating, which is really um, popular right now. Mm-hmm. And what if I pay attention to what my body really needs and what's really going on? Am I bored? Am I hungry? Right. Do I feel like I need some protein? Let me really think about this and, and mm-hmm. get in touch with it. And so, again, the answer to how we can become more interoceptively aware is mindfulness. And there's a lot of mind, body awareness, mindfulness practices out there, even just body scans, breathing, but really making that connection between your physical, your internal experiences, Mm -hmm. emotional and the the labels and making those connections. Like you said, I slept. How did I feel? Mm -hmm. I worked out easy as that. How do I feel? Let me pay a little bit more attention to my energy level throughout the day Mm -hmm. or my mood right after that. So forcing that awareness. Totally. And and so what um, our member asks is like, how, what are some ways to explore this to avoid burning out? I think the burning out part is interesting because of unfortunately, or neither fortunately nor unfortunately, this is just the way it is. It requires, once you know this stuff, now planning ahead. And that's the really tricky part is to then start to think about, as an example, I'm uh, traveling the next two weekends. So I've been thinking a lot this week already about, okay, so you need to start resting now for these couple of weekends, which when you probably won't have as good of rest. And that is boring and (laughs) unglamorous. It's not, um, it's, it's, but it's also just part of, existence, right? I I think that's another thing that I was really good at once, but then lost sight of because I was so tired of doing it. Sure. Because of basketball, I always had to be thinking about like, uh oh, I'm a little out of energy today. And my team is flying to France on Tuesday. And then we're playing a game in France on Wednesday. And then we're going to fly to Madrid on Thursday and then we have a game Saturday. So like I got to think way down the line as far as like what resources I'm going to have available. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and I was so tired of that, that I think I got away from it where Mm -hmm. I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to be alive. Right. And that was kind of fun for a while, but now I'm, I'm really aware, especially because of like running a business and all these other things, like I have to be more mindful of thinking ahead. And so that's, when it comes to this idea of how to avoid burning out, it's this planning out mm-hmm. a, a month from now, like where am I on the the life meter? Right. Right. And how am I going to rebuild that life meter when necessary? Yeah. And, and, and taking a real honest stock of if it's not an event here that's coming up that I know, but this is sort of my general way I approach work or life mm-hmm. as well. I was just working with a client who 
we talk a lot about this flow state, but it's hard for her when she gets in that feeling of I'm productive. I want to just grind this out. I, I will work seven, eight, nine, ten hours at a time and then feel exhausted and then mm-hmm. would label the exhaustion as, oh, I'm so lazy or unmotivated or I can't. And that's why I got it was hard for her to break away from breaking down her day into more manageable mm-hmm. working chunks because she feared getting out of that flow state as we can all relate mm-hmm. to because she made that association with the next day I won't have the energy or I won't be able to get back there. Oh, so looking yeah. even at your general way you're approaching work and life, hey, am I pushing myself to this extent because I'm not paying attention to, oh, I'm tired right now because I'm so focused on the high of getting stuff done or being productive versus here I'm starting to fade. And then the next day it's not laziness or unmotivation. I am exhausted. I, this is a, I need this restoration, but being able to understand what's going on with your body. Mm -hmm. Great question. Tease all kind. Oh, and there's so many interesting, um, I know we have to end, but so many interesting things with just physical pain and stress and how that, there's a lot of work done of how that manifests, again, emotionally and even pain, like mm-hmm. being able to, if you're aware of that pain and in, increase your ability to sit with that, the discomfort of sitting with that pain, describing it, emotional literacy, body literacy, mm-hmm. that awareness often leads to, oh, wait, I'm, I'm crying all of a sudden, or I'm thinking of some trauma or memory that I've been carrying around that has literally been manifested as physical pain. Didn't Brad make you cry one time when he was oh, working least, on you? at least three times. Yeah. Um, Brad not is... because he's a torturer, <laughs> but because of that, like just even putting pressure on that area, your spleen and your kidney. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brad is our um, physical therapist that we share <laughs> that actually you guys turned Dexter. me on to. Yeah. Um, who does dry needling stuff and, and the emotional response to that has been fascinating for me. But just be kind and aware of your body. Right. One, I was also, I wanted to, um, show off knowing another word that's when you guys were talking about interoception, I was like, Oh, it's like proprioception. So proprioception is your awareness of your body in space. space. Um, and so I think it's the, interestingly, like they, that's a, so necessary in sports is the awareness of where you are in space. Uncoordinated people have limited proprioception. They're always running into shit, right? That would be kind of the definition of <laughs> lack of proprioception. So it's an interesting combination of proprioception in this context might be, well, I fell over and that's why my ankle hurts, right? The interoception is my ankle hurts. <laughs> yes. yes. And then, so it, yes. it's also connecting these, Outside awareness. These days, most people require less proprioception because their days are spent in front of a computer. Mm -hmm. The construction workers who are outside of our uh, office, they require a lot of proprioception because they're like, I don't want to get hit by this beam. Correct. Um, And so it's – we also have – I think one of the challenges for all of us is that we grew up as a species – requiring a lot of proprioception related to interoception. Now it's less about the proprioception. We're not hunting things. And the interoception has gotten kind of perverted because it's, it's almost like we're working with a smaller, a much restricted range. Yeah. Yes. Like if you, yes, if you uh, got speared by the guy that was across the mammoth from you, 
You're identifying that you're bodily like, sensation yeah, like, pretty accurately. Yeah, like that spear yes. is in my thigh. Yes. I got to yes. get it out. And then that's why my body hurts. Yes. But now, like you're saying, we've we've narrowed this yes. um, range of possible activities and so it becomes, in a way, more challenging. Like, God damn, I don't know. I don't feel very good. Such but a good point. Limiting know. that range of bodily sensations. Mm-hmm. And then you complicate it with our emotional illiteracy. None of us know <laughs> emotions or what they are, how they feel. Mm-hmm. And if you combine that with having some difficult emotional times or processing, and so you sort of actively don't want to think about that and avoid, 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 which we do. And then there's this difference in neurology. I alluded it to alluded to it when I was talking about the autistic neurology. One theory of autistic neurology is that there's such a hyper focus or such energy required to pay attention. That's why autistic people do really well with focused, detailed, amazing work there, but harder to shift back and forth and and harder to carry a lot of information on at once, but also really struggle with interoception. So there's, I mean, even mm. our baseline neurological systems, we're going to be better or worse at that. Mm-hmm. But again, practicing awareness with all of these reasons why I think we've gotten a little bit worse at it. Great question, T. Zalkind. If you have a question and you're a member of the process online, um, you can ask us on the Discord server. If you're not, send us a note. Podcast at createyourprocess.com. Before we get out of here, I do want to mention one person um, hit process wizard level on the process online, which means that she has done 500 deep work sessions. Adrian Valenza. Yay. Well done. 500 is a lot. That's awesome, Adrian. Congratulations. Good work. I'll see you in a couple weeks, Katie. Okay. Thanks for not yelling at me for being late. <laughs> You're welcome. You look too good to be yelled at. <laughs> <laughs>The executive producer of the Process Podcast is Rich Berner. Music came to us courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incompetech.filmmusic.io. I'll talk to you again soon.